podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Face Off. It has been a while. I am sorry about that, but scheduling podcasts when you've got another 100 million to record, it's getting tougher every week. And the Christmas period is going to be the same. So we might be doing bigger pods now and again. And bigger pods is not only just in the length, probably, but we also have more guests than usual. We were even expecting more than we have. So I'll introduce my guests and then we'll get into... A myriad of things, mostly the Man City game and stuff surrounding that, and Harry Kane and bald pundits who were shit at the job. Um, but anyway, introducing my guest. Chris, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing alright, guy. Just woke up like an hour ago. so. <laughs> mm, and we've introduced you to what a hobnob is as well. And it's probably, yeah, that is, that is true. It's too early for <laughs> such information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, joining us is Carl. How are you doing, buddy? Not too bad, guy. Good, good. And also joining us is Jay. How are you doing? I'm guilty of the hobnobs. I'm currently dunking them in a little mug of tea, so I'm all right otherwise. He didn't even ask me about the mini roll. That would have been a that would have been another ten minutes. <laughs> well, the <laughs> mini rolls. If we went off on a tangent, we'd end up on a Gujon story again. So it's like a good. <laughs> not good eh? It's like a good version of a Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh God. Yes. Snack wars. Um, anyway, Manchester City. Jay, we are good yeah. at football. No, 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 no. We are the best. It's quite simple, really. We're the champions of Europe, therefore we're the best. And that's why we're top of the league. That's why we're eight points clear. And that's why we should hopefully have a few more shiny ones in the cabinet at the end of the season. Can we caveat eight points clear that's nine points ahead of City? Yeah, we probably can say that, but I'm being statistically correct here because we probably will be 12 or just a bit more less than that by next week's games because we play before them and they play Chelsea and I don't see them beating Chelsea. Especially without the racist Bernardo Silva getting in early. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> oh dear, um, Carl. I mean, what what was your feeling going into the game? I mean, obviously against Man City, uh, the the story coming into it was the managers had a little back and forth, which was pretty much nothing concerning the other managerial rivalries we've seen in the, in the past in the Premier League. We've got Man is a diver, Pep likes tactical fouls, Man City is shit because they've got a hundred people injured when it's really like two. Um, it's it, it was a strange game coming into it, and Man City were the favourites, I think, but I don't know why. But I think we didn't assert dominance. But one, we just kind of felt like the better team, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think ahead of the game, a lot of things you touched on, funnily enough, seem to be coming from the Man City side. And I, I think Shock. <laughs> by design, you know, that they, they were trying to, to psych us out almost. Because, you know, I, I suppose recent history, last year we had a similarly positioned big game between the two sides and Liverpool 
unfortunately on that occasion were, were unsuccessful and ended up losing 2-1 and that led to a bit of dip in form by Liverpool and ultimately to Man City winning the, the league title by a point and I think Man City you know the club and, and the fans and in fact probably the wider uh, English football fan base because we, we seem to be enemy number one for reasons that, that baffle me to be honest but um, we're, we're all hoping that we'd have a repeat in history and I think Man City were doing their best to, to try and drag us down there you know with, with the, the talk of Mane being a diver and uh, and you know kind of playing the mind games with the injuries and that whereas I think Klopp okay yeah he went a little tiff for tap by talking about the tactical fouls but for the most part I think he was focusing on the task at hand and, and getting the lads prepared for the game and, and clearly it paid off because yeah, like you can't say we dominated the game in any sense, but we we did what we do best, and therefore we ran away with a three-one victory. So I, th- I think obviously Klopp's preparations paid off. And you know, as for for my own feeling ahead of the game, I, I really thought it was a must-win because of that history, because of how the game went last year. You know, I think we really needed to get the monkey off our backs and and beat City in the league. You know, which which we hadn't done since the previous season. Um, and I, I think a lot of Liverpool fans, we had that kind of debate in, in our WhatsApp group. A lot of lads are saying, oh, you know, a draw wouldn't be the, the worst result. But I, I felt it would be a disappointment because, you know, I, I think we needed that that kind of victory in, in terms of getting that momentum and kind of knocking Sydney's momentum. So um, I, I'm glad that that I got what I wanted. As am I. <laughs> um Chris, what was your thoughts going into the game? Um, I thought we were going to win. I was really annoyed about all the pundits and everything. Over here, there's like a whole Man City love fest because they all just became fans like a couple years ago. But um, yeah, just so much. You, you, you can see it everywhere. So much disrespect for the Reds. Um, even though we were top of the table for quite a while. Yeah, we have a couple of injuries. You know, Mohamed Salah's ankle has been bothering him and stuff like that, and Joel Matip's been out. But our performances have been consistent. And Man City looked... When teams went toe-to-toe with them, they looked really shaky, as we saw when they got hit twice on the break by frickin' Traore um, against Wolves. Um Love those two goals, by the way. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I just felt like this is something that, you know, I feel like the way that people focus more on Man City, it's like, oh, they could cut the gap to uh, three points and then they could kick on from here. And and I think that kind of fueled Liverpool in that manner, especially the crowded Anfield, which was uh, amazing. Um, but yeah, we got the job done, but I just didn't, I don't appreciate the Man City Love Fest in the media. I mean, like, we are top for a reason, and I'm glad we exercised the demons from uh, last season. Because I was kind of frustrated when we played uh, super conservatively against them at Anfield, mm. and basically conceding those two s- stupid goals. I thought they were sloppy goals, especially the first one to Aguero at the Etihad. So it, it, it felt nice to rub this in their face, especially when they kept doing that stupid um, no goal over the line by like two millimeters, yeah. just mocking us consistently over the summer. Yeah, so it felt good. 
Yeah, it absolutely did. Um, Jay, were you at the stadium or were you busy? No, I was. I have a bruise on the back of my legs to prove it because I fell into the chair in front of me. <laughs> what was it like in the stadium then, Gordon? Oh, it was much, much better. I mean, I've spoken on a couple of times maybe this season that the atmosphere may be a bit flat or just seems like we're, we're that good that we're going there and expecting us to turn up and just turn teams over. And We've had a few games where we've sort of gone into it a bit nonchalant and a bit laxy-daisy and we get the result in the end because we are that good, but the crowd's a bit flat and it sort of works hand in hand. If the crowd goes flat and the team can go a bit flat for 10 or 15 minutes, it sort of becomes mm. a bit of a weird atmosphere. But obviously, big game, biggest obviously of the season in terms of what the probable outcome in terms of the final positions will be. Um, obviously, we've got the derby in a couple of weeks and we've still got United to come there out of the two big games really at home. But the magnitude of this game and as Chris and Carl have touched on the fact of last season we sort of didn't turn up and we knew what was at stake um, so everyone was up for it and it was there was nothing sweeter for me really than as walking up to the ground he was a coach of Man City fans who pulled up and they were giving it loads out the windows and lo and behold that same coach was going past us on the way home and they all <laughs> seemed to be sat down with their heads in the seats which was you know, it was nice to see. It was also <laughs> nice to put six fingers up to them and maybe the occasional three one as well. But six and a hand of five and a nice little thumbs up always works well. Um, but it was nice just to get that victory because I think it's a bit of a monkey off the back in terms of what we, we had last season with them. In, in the league, they've sort of stifled us since the big win. We had a couple of years ago, the fourth day. They've sort of had our number apart from the cup competitions, which are the one-off games. So it was nice to get that. And the only downer for me was the lack of clean sheets because I thought otherwise we were were very professional. We even had that snidery to us where we were sort of wasting time and the old throwing trick where the Trent will go over to the ball and maybe just kick it away and then maybe pass it on to someone else further up the line or vice versa. And, just these little mind games and snidely that we're playing now, the the sort of European side of the game, which we've probably learned to grow and appreciate now. Um, it was good to see that. And it, obviously, it, it riles up the opposition fans even more. And we then get to what Mr. Gomez and Sterling did, but I'm sure we're going to touch on that shortly as well. Yes, that completely slipped my mind, but I will. we will talk about that. Um, I'll stick with you, Jay. I mean, you're obviously... A match Gordon red. You, you got as many games as you can. Um, have you have you seen? Well, even even inside the city, have you seen this rivalry grow? Because it does seem to be a bit heated on Twitter. But has it has it grown in 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 person as well? The, the rivalry Man City. I think they're agitating for it more than we are because of where they've come from. Obviously, they've they've lived in United Channel for a long time, so they have always seen United as a rival. And I imagine it probably. If you flip the situation and say Everton all of a sudden had the multi-billions and became successful and we were not as successful and it was, say, Chelsea, they'd probably then look to rile Chelsea and get a rivalry with them. And that's sort of what it feels like is they're, they're wanting it more than we do because we've been a big club for forever and we've got our main rivals and we probably know that their short-term 
we had it with Chelsea 10, 15 years ago when Roman mm. come in and there's still that little bit of sort of needle with Chelsea but then Chelsea as a club have always got that something about them where you want to get over them for various reasons off the field as well but I think they are dying for this rivalry and if we go on to win the league and we go on to be successful and Pep buggers off somewhere else which he probably will sooner rather than later the way he's going because he's going to end up in a straitjacket and a mental asylum if he carries on um, I think they might sort of maybe slip back down into mid-table and then who knows if the owners Oof. sort of get bored that's <laughs> the, a big the, shout that <laughs> the, the, well Roman's got bored of Chelsea 15 years on or like there's been issues off the field with him as access to the country but he seems fed up with Chelsea now he seems like he wants if he gets the right offer from whoever I think he'd sell up tomorrow and Chelsea are then probably going to have to rebuild although they've started it now with the mm. the Frank Lampard transfer barn and they're, they're sort of rebuilding themselves in a more organic way Um Obviously, they've, they've hoarded hundreds of players and that over the years, but they're, they're sort of becoming a bit more of an organic team in terms of using the youth, which Man City really have got. On paper, they've got a good academy because they've probably hoarded these players like Chelsea have, and they always seem to do well at youth level. But coming through, there's Phil Foden and that's it. I think Zinchenko was probably bought in and sort of come through, but he's sort of on the fringes anyway. If everyone they, was fit, he's not a starter. They try to sell him as well, anyway. Yeah, so, if I remember correctly. The, the, they're not here or there in terms of, like, they're not going to stick around forever where we will. And as much as it pains me to say, if Man United get the ship in, in order, then they will come back up because they're that big and they've, they've built themselves up to be that big over a period of years. So, no, I, I'm done. Worried. I, I think you don't go to work on a Monday morning like this week and gloat to anyone because there is no Man City fans mm. around. There's, there's Everton fans and Man United fans, but there's no Man City fans. You just sort of go in with a sense of pride and achievement. Yeah, yeah we, we stuffed them, but we move on to the next game. It, it, there's no needle because they've got a small fan base because they're a small club. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I, it, it it's a strange one. You, you could see either just flattening off in a couple of years as you mentioned or it could grow into something but as you mentioned what happens when Pep leaves what happens when Klopp leaves etc it, it depends how long both teams are successful I suppose <clears throat> Um, so we'll get into the game and Carl I'll come to you uh, we're not going to go minute by minute because it feels like a long time ago even though it wasn't I'm going to start with the Fabinho goal but you know what I'm going to ask you first VAR and handball. I mean, Mike, I thought Michael Oliver was good on the day, but uh, controversy continues with double handball gate. Yeah, um, it was an interesting one at the at the time. Like it, it happened so fast, and kind of my I didn't even notice the Bernardo uh, handball at, at first. Um, and but my thought was, ah, oh, you you can't give that. It's it's ball to hand but then you know you kind of think oh they kind of changed the rules lately so how's it work now it's it's so difficult to say and now you know we we 
there's like since it's happened, you know, you've heard so many things. Oh, there's a deflection rule. Oh, there's the but it was mm. a handball for Bernardo, so that's why it wasn't given. You know, I think that initially they were pushing that deflection rule. That's the the rule that people were kind of retweeting around the place. And then suddenly, I think one of the an ex ref. I, I can't think of the name right now, but I don't know if anyone else can remember. I think some, Clattenburg said something. Might have been Clattenburg. Anyway, came out and said no, no, that's that's not correct, and that the the Premier League were were incorrect in their explanation. But there is a reason why it wasn't a peno, and he explained why it wasn't a peno. And it's it's just it's hilarious that there's so many uh, kind of different explanations as to why it's not a peno. But I I think what you can get is the people who are in the know, the people who are educated on these things that know the rules are saying it wasn't a peno. It's just city bias media and fans and opposition fans who have an agenda against Liverpool that are saying it was a peno and Pep Guardiola, of course. So, uh, you know, for me at the time, I didn't think it was a peno, but I probably didn't think it was a peno for the wrong reasons. And obviously there's my bias as well. But I think now having read up on things and, and that in hindsight, I don't think it was a peno. Uh, maybe I'm on my own and that I, I'm oh, not no too problem. sure, but uh, regardless, I, I don't think it was a peno. But then there's the argument of should it have been a, a free out to Liverpool? Or, I, I don't know. There's so many connotations on it, but I think we should, the focus should be that Fabinho scored a thunder bastard of a goal and, and we went one nil up and that's what's important at the end of the day. And it made Vincent Company cry on live TV. <clears throat> Which that was, was, that was a benefit. It was fun, man. Chris, you get the first dibs then. Fabinho, oh my, he hit that very hard. That was an absolute rocket. I... I couldn't believe it. I was, so I was watching it at a bar with my friend, and when he like squared it up and then kicked the ball, I'm like, okay, this this is probably going to go over. And then it just rattled the back of the net. It was just absolutely amazing. But then again, the build-up to that goal, yeah, you had the whole handball um, controversy, as you guys just talked about. City had a couple of opportunities to clear it out. And they just did it, and it fell to Fabinho, and it he just put his laces through it and put the Reds up um, 1-0. And I think that we were pretty, I don't want to say lucky, but it was like crucial that we scored that first goal. Because I thought for the uh, opening parts of the match, City were all over us. And just a few missed passes or like a miss hit here or there they could have scored and we're talking about a completely different game so i think that fabinho goal set the tone for the rest of the match and for the intensity that we uh we're gonna play with for the rest of the game and i think it actually got the crowd into it even more uh, it was just just an amazing goal and can we talk about peter drury's commentary on it because i've been yes. sharing it all over twitter it's just that I, I that guy is just is just absolutely amazing. The way that he commentates on every goal, like it's his like personal favorite team, and then you have Martin Tyler and the NBC commentators over here that just don't seem to be asked about it. It's like, oh, okay, Liverpool scored. 
doesn't really matter because it doesn't fit our agenda. But it was mm. just it was just an amazing goal. Um, the build up to it, I crapped my pants a little bit because you know <laughs> I thought it was a penalty, but uh, it wasn't. And I think the reason that it wasn't given as a penalty as a penalty was one, it flicked off of uh, Silva's hand first, then it hit Trent. And I think the only way that VAR would have like made any decision would have been if like it flicked off Silva's hand, flicked off Trent's hand, and then like Aguero puts it in the net and then mm-hmm. like we would go to review and it'd be disallowed. Um, I agree. It probably should have been a free kick, but I think the fact that like it bounced out and went into play again and we took possession of it kind of, maybe nullified that yeah not too sure about that but Mm -hmm. the goal itself was just i think that that was important because it really set the tone for the intensity that we played for the rest of the game and it was just a bloody lovely goal (laughs) oh yes he needs Uh, to do that more (laughs) well no because i think i'd say the first time he's ever uh he scored properly his shots aren't what they should be but if he's got that in his locker now that'd be beautiful it really uh, yeah. <laughs> would be beautiful. Um, yeah, it was. It was. A, it was a strange minute, uh, and uh, it was a strange situation with the handball and stuff like that. You, you're dead on with Peter Jury. I mean, I think I don't even know who he works for on the Premier League game, but we only get him on the uh, very, very odd, um, on very odd Champions League game, which is disappointing. So someone needs to hire him. Um, Jay, I mean, seeing as you're at the stadium and now. I do ask you this on fantasy as well. You know the VAR correspondent. Did you have any bloody clue what was going on? <laughs> Not the friggin' foggiest. I was too busy picking myself up from the chair in front, and then uh, all the city players were obviously hard and Oliver and like, hang on, what's going on here? Because no one seemed offside. It seemed legitimate goal, and some foul turned around. Went, I think they're checking for the penalty. It was like, for what? Because obviously I sit in the Anfield Road end, so mm. I was right behind the goal. I actually thought for what it was worth, it went top corner, but it never the source it went middle of the goal height wise. Yeah. Um, but we had no idea. And then if anyone's been to Anfield and airport, George Sefton on the mic, he has no idea what's going on. And he tells you two minutes after the incident anyway. So you didn't really know what the VAR check was for. Obviously everyone was in delirium. And then it just kills the atmosphere. It's such a passion killer. And that's my biggest gripe with it is as much as they're getting things wrong at the moment and it needs improving and whether it's the people who use it, the way they implement it or whatever, the biggest thing it does is it just takes that whole passion and enjoyment of a goal being scored of the game. And that, for me, is what I don't want it for. Um, mm. But... I suppose we're just going to have to get used to it because it's it's going to be here, I think. But it just needs fine tuning and using by people who and I don't I don't think you should have a different referee assigned to each game because they designate a panel of four people who oversee the games because at any one time the most amount of games that are taking place on a usual weekend is probably six to seven games at a time on a Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon at three o'clock. I'm sure four or five people could oversee that. And if there was an incident, it flashes up for the VAR check and then they'll focus on that. And you probably may deal with two or three if you're lucky at one time. 
and these are impartial people. They're not involved in the heat of the game because if you take uh, Martin Atkinson was artificial at Old Trafford and he had an absolute stinker, or was it Villa Park? Sorry, it was Villa Park. He had a stinker at Villa Park. I think he did uh, United as well. Uh, did he? I and think so. He was then a VAR official for us in another game. Now, he's obviously got, I would assume, words in his ear from several people about you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you you didn't give this Liverpool, you should have given that and whatever. And then he's then a fourth official VAR or whatever on our game the week after. Now, who's to saying he's not going to be slightly affected? I know referees shouldn't be because it's a profession, but if you've made a big balls up in a live game and you should have given a decision that was blatantly wrong and then you're the VAR official for that game and there's a decision that that team is contentious for, for me, it doesn't sit right. Just give four to five men or women the panel and let them deal with it and make sure they get Mm -hmm. it done and get it done fast because that is what it kills. It's the passion. I just don't like it. Yeah, there's been talk about putting in a timer and stuff like that, which doesn't really help in the moment, but we've seen in other situations, not just Liverpool, obviously, we've seen people sat there for like four or five minutes and that's going on. It it, it does need, um, it does need yeah. tuning. Yeah, and you, other sports use it and use it well. NFL, cricket, rugby, tennis, they use it and they get a decision pretty quickly. And I don't see why we've not learned from those sports. Mm. Miked up refs would help as well, obviously. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> the, uh, did you see the Aussie one, by the way? I have. He's in the championship now. I'm sure he is. Um, uh, he's he's actually a good ref. Yeah. Because you can hear him explain the situation, gives it out to the players, he tells them he's under fair and square. And for what it's worth, Oliver didn't have a bad game. He had probably the best game. Mm. Well, he, he was the best, the best ref. ref. Yeah. But... You know, it didn't go Man City's way, so they've spat the toys out the plan, haven't they? Yeah, they've put an official complaint in against him and VAR, even though VAR doesn't... <laughs> he, he was there. If there was no VAR, he still, they still wouldn't have got anything. <laughs> he did just, just Man City, aren't he? Just yeah, small petty. time. Small mm. time. Who, like, we, like, as us, we, we were refereed by the Ferguson era of referees where... <laughs> wow. And we didn't put a complaint in. <laughs> Where he was a bottle of wine and a brown wine below yes, the referee's office before he even got in there. Absolutely. But anyway, we don't want to talk because VAR... We digress. Up, yeah, VAR and corruption comes up too much. Um, but yes, anyway, Fabinho, you are lovely. More of that, my man. Even get on penalties once Milner and Salah... Well, Milner and Salah might not be on the pitch, so Fabinho might get a penalty. <laughs> um, but it, it was lovely. Um... Carl, before we score the second, Man City have a few chances, um, and then obviously I'll, I'll let you talk on the goal as well. But was the was the fact that Man City was still having a lot of the ball um, and and creating a couple chances? I think one of them might have been offside, but I think Aguero does an air shot on one of them as well. I mean, Aguero's definitely cursed at Anfield, but it shows that Man City weren't playing badly on the. I mean, defensively they were, they were fucking shit, but they're still good going forward. Yeah, I mean, before the game, there was a, a lot of talk of the need for us to start quickly because we haven't really started quickly in recent weeks. Obviously, we, we've gone behind in 
previous three games. And we, unfortunately, we didn't start quickly in this one. Now, uh, I'm still finding it difficult to ascertain whether that was down to us not doing well or Man City just not allowing us to play because they were kind of hog- hogging the ball. Um, they, they did have a lot of it and kind of there was a couple of half chances for them. Um, kind of Lovren seemed to be struggling a little bit with Aguero. He look, looked a little bit nervous. Um, but, you know, the, I think that kind of speaks to how important it was that, that Fabinho took that chance um, and because that really helped us settle down. And although credit to City and I suppose that's that's you know that their status as champions they, they didn't really let the goal phase them they still tried to play football in the in the aftermath but then obviously luckily we, we got a, a second goal which uh, you know gonna once again came against the, the run of play um, but I, I mean I, I think we kind of wound back the clock somewhat because in the past couple of seasons we've been more of a controlling team in, in terms of our approach whereas the season before that um, you know, in which obviously we, we reached the Champions League final and got top four again and, and that kind of thing. We we were more of a counter-attacking side. And I think that's what we looked like, for, especially in the first half uh, on the weekend. And, and it was important that we were able to to be flexible, you know, because you're not going to control the ball against an opposition like Man City because they're just so good at football. Um, so it was really good to see that we, we could kind of go to plan B, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's probably the main difference between us and Man City. I think we can contain a team, as you mentioned. And, well, maybe Man City could if everyone was fit, or Laporte was fit. But in in their current state, they just simply couldn't handle us at all. And Chris, coming to you on the second goal, um, again, a lovely goal, completely different to the Fabinho one. I mean, Trent crossfield pass with his wrong foot. Robbo, I thought he overhit the pass. I thought he was passing to Firmino. And then all of a sudden, Salah's there at back post. It's just, it's a fantastic goal. And, I mean, some people say Edison could have saved that and the Fabinho one up. I think that, I mean, they're completely wrong there. It was just, I thought that was a perfect Liverpool goal. Yeah, you said it perfectly. The build-up to it was was. I want to say amazing, but it's kind of something we see them do pretty much game in, game out for the past 18 months. So um, when Trent uh, did the crossfield ball to Robertson and he's bombing uh, down the field with it, right before he plays the pass, the cross over to Salah, I'm like, dude, just slot money in. Slot money in. Slot <laughs> Same. Money in. I was as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like, I think there was a. a pass on the inside because uh, Henderson was making a run up the field too and there was a pass up the middle he could have played I'm like dude just just pick someone and he crossed the ball I thought Bravo would have came out and like smacked it away but he for some reason just stood on his line didn't really do anything and then Salah heads it home um, it was just just a build up to it it was just absolutely stunning like I don't and the finish itself, I thought uh, that if Ederson was in goal, he probably would have saved that. But then again, there's a stat out there that Bravo has faced like over 50 shots and he's conceded like, I don't know, like 29 of them. So that's that's not surprising. But yeah, that's pretty much like when you when someone asks what's a Liverpool goal is like that, that you just show them that 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 clip of Trent passing the ball to Robbo. 
Robo crossing it over to and bypassing two of our other strikers straight to Salah, back of the net, makes it 2-0. Beautiful stuff. It really was. It is the typical goal. It, it, it just... <sighs> It just lost words how versatile in goals we've scored, even in this game. I mean, Jay, I've targeted you here because you're Henderson's the biggest fan. Second half starts, half time, 2 0 up. Not looking comfortable, but we've got a 2 0 victory against Man two, 2 0 margin against Man City, which is more than you can ask for. And then Henderson from 13 14 shows up on over. Yeah, who knew he still existed? Uh, but. It was nice to see, and I think Dave touched on it on the raw pod. If he can just do that and get to the byline, because he's got the ability, rather than chip these stupid balls in that he does from like Trent's area across crossing because he's not got Trent's ability, then we're onto something because he can he can sort of power past the player. He doesn't really beat them for pace, although Angelino did get done for pace in that instance. Um, and he's got the ability to, to swing a ball in if he, if he's doing it on the move. It's when he's stationary and he tries to loft that ball in that it doesn't really work and we've not really got the strikers for that. Um, but credit where credit's due, he, he whipped it in and he, he, he put the shape on it. So if Bravo was going to come for it, it was sort of not catchable, if that makes any sense, because mm. it was, Bending away from the goal rather than into the goal, so we would have been maybe going at it with a punch or whatever. But as Bravo was Bravo, he's he was sort of rooted to his line. He didn't want to come off the line. Um, and poetic justice that a diving header from Sadio Mane would be the one that gets the goal. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a tap in with his right foot or whatever, which he he might have been able to do had he wanted to. That he probably would have fell over and. Looked like he'd made a meal of it, like he always seems to fall over when he's shooting sometimes. But a dive in Edda was beautiful and bravo questionable. I think Edison probably that was the one of the three he would have saved because I think Edison's more of a, a broader, bigger goalie. Mm. He, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have died or flapped the way Edison did. He probably would have went the way Allison does where he sort of goes with his whole body as a bigger frame and yeah. sort of narrows the angle rather than what Bravo tried um, but can we just say whoever is responsible for putting that camera behind the goal at the cop end wonderful job <laughs> I'm sure people have seen it on Twitter there's like sort of Larice, uh, Kepa and Tistegan as well beautiful the, the, the look on their faces are whoever decided you were going to put a camera there that was genius because they're moments that you you just don't capture from any other camera in the ground do you reckon they see the camera and then shit themselves a wee bit more as well? <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. fuck's sake. I'd, they probably see it and then go, oh, fuck, and that's going to be on telly now, isn't it? <laughs> and then, <laughs> at that point, it's too late. Um, but the camera at the Anfield Road then was probably broke because Fabinho's strike had rattled it and smashed it to pieces. Ah, I would have probably broke um, goal line tech, that one. <laughs> Can I just say that, mm. I would, was anyone else really upset that Mane didn't run over to Pep and yes. do the little Suarez diving? <laughs> yes, yeah, 100%. <laughs> was I was, but then, did you see the image from the end of the game when he's just smiling at Pep as if he's like, yeah. <laughs> No, I've, I haven't actually seen that. Oh, I'll get it for you, you just Good looked man. at him just to say, yeah, uh, I, didn't even, I didn't even need to go to ground. Have you, so have you seen the picture of... Um, 
I, I think I already saw it just before we start recording. Actually, there's a there's a picture of when Fabinho's taking just about a shoot on his on his goal, obviously, and it's not. It's like the reverse angle, so it it shows Pep, and he's just like, I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> if, if he's not had some sort of phone call to a helpline over the past forty eight seven seventy two hours. Because we have literally mentally broken. He, he is, was already on the edge, mm. and he broke that day. He is the most intense human being in the world. <laughs> he's meant. He's crazy. There is no wonder he's Paul. Yeah, I, I mean, it's because he's used to getting his way. I don't think he's ever been challenged like this in any of the leagues that he competed in, aside from mm. probably Mourinho's Madrid in 2010. Mm. Was it was that 2010 or like 2011 around that time? Around that time, yeah. Yeah. So he's always used to getting his way, and you can see it gets to him like he doesn't he doesn't know what to do. Uh, he's just completely obsessed with us. He he's just turned into a meme for our entire fan base, and it's the the most perfect thing. Especially when he's doing the two thing, yelling at the fourth official. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking the referees like an absolute prick as well. Oh, yeah. beautiful. I mean, I just can't, I can't be seeing him um, stare along. Oh my God, Joe, that picture is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might just, I might screw off the face off picture and just put that one as the picture. <laughs> when, when he says a picture paints a thousand words, that just says enough, doesn't it? It's like, cheers for that, Pef. Uh, yeah, didn't need to die for that one. Free one, no problem. See you next time. It's just this cheeky little smile. It's beautiful. Yeah, his little spat with the officials at the end, like sarcastically shaking their hands, mm. that's going to come back to bite them in the ass. Because one thing we know with English referees, they don't like being shown up, and they have very large egos. So, yeah, I could see that coming back to bite them in the yeah. ass in the next match they play, depending on who officiates the game. Why would you piss off the one good referee in the league? <laughs> it's just uh, it's just a it's a bull tactical Carl anyway I've been ignoring you long enough um, we won't move on to the rest of the game yet I mean there's a couple there's obviously a few players in the Liverpool squad that split the fan base uh, is probably the polite way of putting it uh, and Lovren and Henderson they were the two who um, started the game but um I mean, second half especially, I thought they both stepped up hugely. Like, Lovren, I think you mentioned it in the first half, he lost to Guerrero a couple of times, but in the second, I mean, he did that block when he was on his ass. That was great. He didn't really give anything away. And Henderson, even even just ignoring the assist, I thought Henderson was really good. He was harrying. When he got subbed off, uh, you could tell that you, you could tell that he went off. Uh, maybe, it was, maybe it was kind of Milner coming on. We dropped a lot deeper as well, but we... we uh, these players stepped up, and that's what we want from squad well, starters and squad players. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, I, I think the the two players you mentioned have kind of been scrutinised in in recent weeks, and you know, let, let's be honest, it hasn't been Henderson's best spell at Liverpool. I mean, I, I think before the City game, aside from the second half against Spurs. He hadn't really played well this season. Like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd called a few times for him to be dropped. Mm-hmm. And that's in a lot, considering we're quite low on midfield options at the moment because obviously Kada and Ox are both only on the kind of comeback trail. But 
you know, you have to be honest when a player is not playing well. You have to call it out, and and that includes any player. I mean, in recent weeks, obviously, a lot of people have been critical of how Salah has been playing, and a lot of people think he's our best player. So, mm. I mean, that, that you have to be honest at the end of the day. And you know, obviously, Lovren, he's had kind of mixed outings. You know, he's brilliant against Leicester, but you know, he kind of had a, a couple iffy games in, in Europe. Uh, he made a mistake against Spurs, which which almost allowed them to make it 2-1 again. But those aside, he's been okay, but he hasn't really been kind of stepped out and kind of made any kind of claim. Mm. You know, everyone has been saying, as soon as Matip's fit, stick him back in there. Because, you know, again, Lovren hadn't done anything exceptional since the Leicester game, but he really stepped up on the weekend against City. As I touched on earlier, early doors, he looked a little shaky, looked like he, he was a little unsure of himself. There was a couple of times where he kind of flailed. I remember one point he went up for a header, and he, which he shouldn't have really been gone, going for, which, you know, he's, he's guilty of at times. But he really grew into the game. And, you know, as you said, the second half was exceptional by him. But I even thought in the latter stages of the first half, he was, he was much more composed. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he kind of was attacking the balls he should not attacking the balls he shouldn't and that's what you want from him at, as as the center back at the end of the day um so it, it was brilliant to see that he was able to step up when needed because he, he has had a bit of an iffy past against man city so um I, you know i was happy for us because we needed him to have that kind of game and and secondly i was happy for him because you know the the guy has you know, at, at times been bullied by sections of our fan base. So, you know, I'm glad he got that that little win. And, you know, as for Henderson, as I said, it hasn't been his best season. A half against Spurs in which he, he scored the, the equaliser aside, he, he hasn't been anywhere near the Henderson we know he can be. But, you know, I thought he was brilliant in the for the hour against City. Yes, a couple of times in the first half he let Angelino go and, and put Trent into trouble. But, for for the most part, he was back there scrapping with with Sterling and and or sorry with with Trent and and with uh, you know okay Salah did, did little bits and kind of against Angelino and Sterling and I think even Sterling commented on it afterwards. He said like you know he really you know he was putting in his all into this game and you could see it. Sterling had a really good game. But at the same time, he said it was so hard because mm. he said every moment, every time he thought he had an in, suddenly Henderson would be on him or suddenly Trent would be on him. And that's a great compliment coming from the opposition, especially a player of, of Sterling's talent, as, as much as he's a bit of a brat. He, he is <laughs> an extremely talented footballer. And I, I think I've seen a stat afterwards that this is the first game in however many that Sterling hasn't managed to shot on target. So I think that's a, a testament to the to the work done by Trent and Henderson on that side and in, in keeping them quiet. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Sterling was their biggest threat by far. Um and we somewhat limited it. I think he was good or he was doing very well in Trent in terms of getting past Trent. But as soon as he got in an opportunity to actually do anything, I think we stopped that really well. Um but yeah, I mean, you mentioned we've mentioned Sterling. Yeah, you, you've called him a brat there. I mean, I'm going to completely ignore the Man City goal because it wasn't really important. I mean, it was a good goal. Let's not talk about Bernardo Silva because it's a different topic. But yeah, thank you, FA, for that ban after the game. Doesn't really matter now. But yep, nothing going on there. Um, 
But Chris, um, obviously, it, it's not really a Liverpool story because it happened on England duty, but we saw the beginnings of it where <laughs> Joe Gomez picked up Sterling and threw him. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it, it's just a it's a strange situation. I mean, obviously, in the heat of the moment, a game, in a game, it can happen any time. But I mean. People, I mean, people like, I mean, the Daily Mail and stuff over here is trying to paint us that it's our fault. Like, Liverpool fans' fault that Sterling got a bad image when, I mean, the hypocrisy of that from, like, coming from shite rag like the Daily Mail. It's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite shocking, but then again, it's not because everybody hates Liverpool, so they find a reason to blame us for everything. But I, I think it's another thing with our quote-unquote rivalry with Manchester City, I think is getting to the players at this point now that the fact that it's, it's Liverpool, like that's the reason why Sterling couldn't control himself. I mean, you're talking about a full, I don't know, two days before, like after the game happened or a day after the game happened that he went, he goes and he confronts Gomez at the uh, England training. I mean, I feel like Man City have to do better with their players and their mentality. And I saw on Twitter this, uh, I can't remember the Twitter handle, but like everyone was going crazy on him. It was some guy like in a Spurs like outfit talking crap on, on Liverpool on like a, a video clip about the city and everything like that. But, uh, Craig Mitch, he, that guy. Yes. Yes. yes that prick. That asshole. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, he was kind of insinuating that like us booing Sterling, it had like racial undertones to it, but that's clearly not the case. He behaved like a prick when he left the club. He went publicly and talked a whole bunch of shit about us. And even last season, like when they interviewed him, I can't remember for what a sports show or something like that over there. He said that, yeah, like nobody wants to see Liverpool win the league. Now do they? Mm. So we just don't like him. It's not, it's not anything like racial or anything like that. It's just that he left on horrible terms. And on top of that, we've booed like all of our former players that Mm -hmm. didn't have left under like really crappy circumstances. Torres, when he left for Chelsea, we boo him. We boo Suarez. We boo Coutinho. So it's not like it's anything special. But, of course, they have to make uh, something out of nothing, you know. That's just what the media is there to do. But the one thing that really, 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 really irritates me is just that there's always, like, they act like the sun is shining out of Man City and Pep's ass. It's like, it. no matter what they do, it's like, oh, it's not that serious, blah, 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 blah. I mean, like, he fucking scratched Gomez's face. Like, have you guys seen that picture? Yeah, it's horrendous, like, isn't it? That, that scratched down mm. like, from his eye to his neck. So I don't, I don't know. It, it's just really frustrating. I think that, like, they need to grow up. Like, Man City really needs to stop acting like the spoiled children of the league. And their fans need to pull their heads out of their asses, which they'll never do. But it's it's just annoying to see. And it's like every day, every day. Media, it's about Liverpool this, Liverpool that. It's always something negative, negative, negative. And like people are even picking on Joe Gomez for not confronting Sterling and 
essentially getting choked and scratched in the process. It's 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 just a really irritating. And the whole Bernardo Silva stuff just I really don't know what to say about it. I think that they stalled I don't know who is responsible for it, whether City like paid people off to hold off on the suspension, but that reeks of corruption itself. Like it took them that long and you waited until after the big match with Liverpool to then say, uh, we're going to find him and then ban him for a match. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, it's fishy and it's, it's just, it's disgusting. Quite lenient ban as well, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, one match. And where Harvey Elliott got banned for what, two weeks mm. for calling Eric Kane a, what, what did he call him again? I can't, I can't remember. Mom. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the bias against Liverpool is just ridiculous. I, I think another shame about the, you know what we're talking about. Look, look at the the time we're given to this. You know, to to Bernardo Silva, to to Sterling, to you know. I'm sure we're going to touch on Pep and the the complaints to the to the referees association <laughs> about it. Is like is that it's taken the shine off what should be the focus one that Liverpool pulled off an incredible victory over an incredible Man City team you know how Klopp out how foxed Pep tactically you know how kind of Liverpool got everything right and and played to their strengths and and indeed how how it was a great football match because Man City left it all on the pitch as well or at least they seem to until now in in the way that they played brilliant football yeah they they made some mistakes at the back but they they played some really nice stuff they they played to their strengths and that, that should go down as you know even for the neutrals as a great match to watch but yet you know what we're talking about is is Raheem Sterling and Joe Gomez and Bernardo Silva and, and the ban and you know I think the timing there they should have sorted that out weeks ago, but now that mm. they haven't, they could have at least left it a few more days, let the, the kind of match gestate, and then announced that he's going to be missing the, the Chelsea game. And then indeed the, this complaint to, to, uh, about, um, the refereeing, like it's, it's just taken the focus away from the match. And, and maybe that's somewhat by design by, by Manchester City, they're probably happy about it because they probably don't want the focus being on that they they lost this this big title battle, um, or at least yeah, a battle in the war for the title. Um, I'm I'm sure they are somewhat happy about it, but for for Liverpool, I think it's a shame because I think the focus should be on what a great match it was and, mm-hmm. and what a great victory it was for Liverpool. I I think you're yeah, I think you're dead right there. Uh, absolutely, it, it's took. Maybe not the shine off it from our our point of view, but in terms of the general scheme of it, I think the results kind of been uh, almost tipexed over in terms of the backlash. It's just uh, it's almost been forgotten about by the the wider narrative. And yeah, I mean, how do you scratch someone from like eye to neck? That is just but fair. Uh, the referee thing is small time as hell. We've been over that. Um, it it's just it was such a. The game itself was great, as you said, and the aftermath is simply strange. It just really is. Um, but, as I mentioned at the start, this this podcast is probably my first one in a while, and there's been obviously a, a good few games there. Um, Chris, uh, Jay has just disappeared, by the way, if you're listening. That's why I'm not I'm not just ignoring Jay. He, he'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's for the listeners. Um 
But Chris, yeah, I mean, the Champions League campaign, we we covered it a few times on, on this podcast in, in, in certain matches. Um, we obviously had a bad start against Napoli, I think we covered that one. And, and we recovered somewhat well, I mean, the Salzburg game wasn't the prettiest. But we've done the double over Genk somewhat comfortably, we didn't really play in the in top gear at any point in them games. But um, hopefully we win the next one and we're free, because if we get a, a spare game in the Champions League, that's probably the main aim to rest a few players now and then, because the December schedule is very hectic. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I hope that we're all fit and firing, ready to go against Napoli. I think that it's... I, th- I see it as a must-win game because if we win that game, we finish the top of our group and we clinch our uh, knockout stage, I believe, uh, place there. And no one really wants to go to uh, Salzburg with the way that they're playing in the Champions League at, at the moment with a must-win game or trying to just get a point over there because you know they're going to throw everything that they have at you um, when you play against them as we experienced at uh, against them at Anfield so yeah I think I think we can beat Napoli at home I mean the last game that we played against them to get through through the group stages um, mm-hmm. I know Scala, uh, Salah scored that one goal and we just held on and Allison did that amazing save at the end to deny them the equalizer in like the 90th minute. But I think if we're going to clinch this group against Napoli, we have to be more clinical than we were against Genk at home. And we just have to be smart and take our chances. Um, And I know for the past two Champions League games, we saw Keita and uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain start in midfield. I don't think that we're going to see either of them when we play against Napoli. I think Klopp is going to roll out his Champions League winning starting 11 and uh, try to score early and just uh, close it out. But yeah, again, um, I called uh, Napoli our Crystal Palace of Europe (laughs) for a reason (laughs) when we did our last pod. It, 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 it makes me kind of nervous going into this game, but I think we we have enough to get through against Napoli, if not at least uh, get a draw. And I think we could beat uh, Salzburg if we really, really need to because they play open football. They play chaotic football, and that's where like our midfield and our entire team thrives. So like, if it comes down to it, that we have to go to Salzburg to get a result to clinch our spot in the knockout phases. I think we could, we could do that. And I think we could beat Napoli. So it's just a matter of like, if we're clinical on the day, if not, we'll see a little KG match like we had with the last game with gang finishing two one. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's been a tough one. I mean, we have this weird thing in, in group stages, especially where we just like to struggle away from home. So ideally, you don't want to go to Salzburg needing something, but I agree with you. If needs be, we could, but we'd obviously rather not. Um, but Napoli up next, we, we seemingly draw them all the time now. Um, and you're right, it was a very tight game the last time. It was a defining game, so hopefully 
we play a bit better than that uh, in this one. But um, there were a couple of chances we should have mm, buried, especially yeah, Origi and. I think Kato was in on goal once. Yeah, you can't let that happen. You can't keep a bad... I don't want to say they're a bad team because they're in the Champions League, but um, a team of that quality, like a lower level opposition, you can't keep them in the game because it gives them hope. And as soon as you give them hope, it just makes it that much more difficult for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Carl, we've obviously had uh, Premier League games in the meantime as well. We've uh, had the Man United game, which is obviously huge, was obviously a bad game. Um, and bad, probably a bad result as well, but refereeing decisions and all that jazz. Um, Tottenham, not the best performance, but result done. Aston Villa, probably the same. But uh, the start, one of the stories coming into the Man City game was we weren't really playing too well. Uh, but we keep winning, don't we, Carl? And it's something that, old cliche, it's what champions do. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a proponent in the season so far of, of suggesting that we, we have been far from our best. You know, the, there's been some, some good performances. Arsenal was a good performance. Burnley was a good performance. I actually thought Spurs was a good performance by the finishing. We, we should have finished better. Um, you know, as, as good as the keeper was, we, we probably could have tested him a little bit more. Um, but those games have been kind of spread out, whereas there's been a lot of, lot of games where we've, we've so much just about limped over the line, like, um, Villa and, uh, Sheffield United, even, even a better example. Um, and uh, the one time where we failed, unfortunately, was the United game because I think we just took too long to, to show up. I think we got it tactically wrong and, you know, Klopp adjusted it late on and we, we got the equaliser and deservedly so. But it's just unfortunate that we, we didn't get it right from the start because probably should be beating an opposition like United. But, you know, we're allowed even, we're allowed one hiccup. But, you know, it, it, what, while technically we haven't been that great, there's, you know, there's been some, surprising defensive errors this season that, that we didn't really see last season and in front of the front of goal or I think our our front three are taking it in rotation to have good games you know rather than them all mm. playing well together which is which is what we've been used to in the past two seasons and so therefore we haven't been scoring as many goals as, as we'd like but well well the technical aspects haven't been at the level we expect and and hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. You know, maybe the, the the city result will inspire that kind of confidence and that run of form. What you can say is that the mentality has been brilliant. That you know that 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 we won't be beaten mentality. You know, look at the the United game. We were we were ten minutes away from losing one nil to to arrivals, and and that could have been a, a devastating result as as far as our our aspirations go. But we refused to to lay down, and the unlikely hero Adam Lallana scoring the equaliser. Um, and you know while in in isolation that's a poor result considering how how bad United have been this season. To be one nil down with ten minutes to go and and rescue a point and and kind of it, it sort of changes the story of that game. It, it kind of it's it's more an example of our, 
you know, our will to, to keep going. And, you know, the, the Spurs game to, to go one nil down so early, you know, in the past we would have dropped the heads, but we, you know, I, I think back to last year, you know, around Christmas, we were on quite a good run and, and then we played Arsenal and we went one nil down and Van Dyke kind of let a roar at the team. And, you know, I, I, don't know what he said, but it made me think of, I don't know if anyone's watched Spartacus, you know, um, and that the Capua shall I begin, you know, it was, it was almost <laughs> like, like Van, Dy- Van Dyke saying, shall we begin, you know, and then we destroyed Arsenal and it, the, the Spurs game was kind of similar. We went one nil down. It was almost like, shall we begin? And we, we, we battered them. As I said, bar the finishing, it, it probably would have been about four or five one Liverpool because it was Liverpool versus Gazaniga for 70 minutes. You know, and and I think that's that's a testament to, to that mentality, to, to us being mentality monsters, as Klopp has said in the past, how we've grown. Because in the past, you know, if Liverpool went one nil down, it was just a, a total capitulation, you know, uh, particularly at, for certain spells during the Rodgers there. And, and that's not a bash on Rodgers, but it's just that was the mentality in the team, you know, that they, they, they weren't defensively sound and, you know, one goal would often lead to two or three so you know while as I said we haven't played our best football in the month so far this 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 year we've, we've shown such a mental strength and and I mean that's that's what you need at the end of the day when when you're winning trophies and winning titles I mean Alex Ferguson's side weren't always the best footballing side for for most of that the time that I recall Arsene Wenger's Arsenal were the best footballing side yes Arsenal won some titles as well but United won more and to and that's because they had this mentality that they wouldn't be beat, you know, the 96th minute winners and, and the like, you know, and that, that's, that's what we're starting to do. And that, that's what you need if you, if you want to lift the, the Premier League title at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And such a huge moment in the title race in terms of, um, Beating Man City, uh, as we mentioned at the start, it's nine points to Man City and eight to the other two teams in the uh, in the um, top four at the minute. Um, but why don't we take, why don't we move away from Liverpool for a second? Talk about the teams that are also in the top four. It's um, it's a very strange season outside of Liverpool. We're obviously a cut above, as I mentioned, with the top with the uh, top four ratings. There. But I mean, we mentioned Spurs there. They played all right against us for a bit, but ultimately, I mean, they're just not much. They're just pretty much a nothing side of the men. Cause, I mean, Chris, we we beat them in the Champions League somewhat comfortably, um, and since then they've just been. Well, it's almost relegation form. I mean, it, it's going that way. I, yeah, it. Yeah, they haven't been great ever since we beat them in the Champions League. Then again, I I don't think their form was that great in the league anyway going into that final. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, but it's the uh Origi syndrome, isn't it? Like every team he scored against just absolutely True. has <laughs> pretty much collapsed. But yeah, they I th- like in that game, like we just completely outclassed them. Um like you guys said before, if it wasn't for Gazaniga, it it could have been 5, 6 or 7 to 1. They got really lucky with that rebound for the goal. But, um, I don't know, Tottenham, I think it's the case of are they are the players buying what Poch is selling them anymore? Because I think that may be the issue. 
I mean, you can go, you can only go to that well so many times with that same group of players. Like the only player that they bought like recently, like a big name was Ndombele. I think it was this past summer. Mm -hmm. And for the past two seasons, they haven't really bought anyone. So it's always been the same manager, same group of players. And they've always come up short. I think over the past, like what, 10 years or 10 to seven years, they've always finished higher than us in the league table and have absolutely won no trophies. And we go back to the champions league. Our second year back, we win the damn thing and we win the super cup. So I think it's, it's, I think Poch did as much as he could do there. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's a matter of like, same shit different day and i don't think the players really want to want to be there because you heard over the summer like erickson wanted to go to madrid um Alderweireld wanted to leave i think for wanted to leave um trippier went to atletico madrid so it's i don't think it's a good harmonious time over at the spurs camp and that's why i think we should steal son from them this coming <laughs> rescue yeah rescue. yeah rescue come to the reds we'll love you <laughs> i mean that'd be all right <laughs> that'd be lovely um uh, carl i mean there's obviously that group of teams outside the top four and well behind the behind sheffield united i'll just add um who've probably been one of our toughest games this season, to be fair, um, probably deserve to be in the top six at the minute. Um, and that, uh, obviously talking about United um, and Arsenal, probably the last time we did a podcast, Arsenal were looking in almost a, a good position. They were probably top four last time we did a pod, but they have almost imploded it as bad as Tottenham, as we just mentioned. I mean, United look like a top six team at the best, and Arsenal... Arsenal should be in the top four. I I, I think it's it's Arsenal is, is it's a tricky one really. Like I, I don't think in in any sense that Emery is a bad manager. I'm just not sure that this is a, a league that suits him, or or maybe that he needs a lot more time to turn Arsenal into a side that that are his side, and and perhaps. You know, Arsenal can't afford to give them that time. Uh, I thought Arsenal did good business in the the summer, and mm. I think that the players they've signed have actually looked decent. You know, David Luiz he's not a great centre back, but you know he's better than what they had. Um, you know, I think Sebalos has looked good. I think he's he's a he's a decent flat track bully. He seems to look really good against the lesser sides in in midfield. Uh, Pepe has been a a, a good player for them in, in attack. Yeah, he's probably missed chances that he should have taken, but I'm sure that will come with time. And Tierney had injuries. So he's only kind of coming into the team now, but we know he's a very talented fullback. So I wouldn't disagree with any player they've signed, but it, it's just really that they needed more. You know, I, I don't rate the goalkeeper. I don't really rate, you know, either the any of the right-back options defensively. You know, I, I still think they're lacking something in centre midfield. I, you know, I, I really was a big fan of Torreira last season, but I don't think he's really kicked on from that. Like, he's a good player, but he's not a great player. Guendouzi has potential, but it's still quite not there. And, you know, I, I 
I, I'm not a big fan of Xhaka, so I, I think something's lacking in midfield. Yeah, even Arsenal fans. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I think I think we're probably sooner to defend them than they are. And then you know we we all we heard a lot about this at this Arsenal attack, you know, that was going to be as good as our front three, but suddenly it seems that. Um, you know that 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 that's not the case. You know, Aubameyang, yeah, he's still getting goals, but he's not quite got that ridiculous strike rate that he had uh, last season. Um, you know, in in which it seemed nearly every time he shot that it was going to end up in the back of the net. Um, but that's not quite the case now. And as I already touched on, Pepe, you know, he's 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 going to take a little bit of time uh, to to kind of completely find his feet and you know I, i'm not sure what's what's happened um to to lacazette but it, it looks like uh, you know i i think he might have taken the season off and his dad mm. might have replaced him because he looks like an entirely different player he, he's still pissed uh, off you know, he's, he's a lot more lethargic like and, <laughs> yeah um so i think like with arsenal you know it could be either that, as I said, I, I just can't quite put my finger on it. It might be just that Emery needs a lot more time to get more good players in and kind of change the side into his side. But Arsenal are a business at the end of the day. They're one of the biggest clubs in the world. And, you know, they, they, there's an expectation there. So I, I'm not sure they have the time. And it, it might just be that Emery isn't the right fit. So they might have to just cut their losses and get rid of them. Mm-hmm. But the word coming out is that that's not going to happen until at least the summer. So, you know, to, to miss out on top four again, surely that's, that's devastating for Arsenal. It's, it's been too long since they've, they've been in the Champions League where traditionally mm-hmm. they belong. So it's got to be a real worry for them. You, you, you used to pencil them in fourth every year. Or at least top four. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Like that Wenger seemed to have that ability to, to get them there, no matter how, you know, they could have eight games to go and it could look really bad, but you, you still wouldn't bet against them getting there because they always would end up there, but it just doesn't seem to be that way anymore. And it, it, I, you can see why their, their fans are really frustrated with how, how things have gone. Um, and as for United, I can definitely say without a doubt that Solskjaer isn't a good manager. <laughs> Nothing about not being the right fit or needing time. He just isn't a good manager. Yes, lately they've gotten a couple of decent results, but you know when you have players like Martial and Pogba and that to, to call upon you, you're going to pull off the odd result. But I mean, I, I think there, there's no there, there's no kind of set plan there. It's just. It, he doesn't seem to know what he's doing and there's all this talk of bringing in youth and bringing in British talent and so on and so forth. Sounds but like us in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think while, while publicly they might have a plan, I, I, I think it's, it's clear that they, they don't. Um, and I, I think they, they really need to, to kind of put the axe down on his neck and, and get in a really top class manager because I think, well, I'm not sure on the, the financial situation at, at Arsenal and how it works with sponsorships and all that, but I'm cl- it's clear at United that there is a pressure on them to, to, to get back into the Champions League because if they don't, their, their sponsorships are going to start to walk. There's going to be a cut, cut in the deals and that kind of thing. And, you know, United being ran the way they are, you know, that'll be a massive concern for them. Um, so I think they need to get it right next time and you know I, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't yet 
put the axe down on them. Maybe because they've been so publicly supportive of them and, and talking about their plans and long term and so on and so forth, they, they they feel that it would almost be embarrassing to, to get rid of them. That that's the only explanation I can think of. But he's definitely not the man for the job. He's not the man for any job. PE teacher. I mean, if uh, Solskjaer and Emery get sacked at the end of the season, they could go and work for Kellogg's because freaking Emery looks like Count Chocula and Solskjaer looks like he belongs on a Rice Krispies box. So, Good God. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now that I've said that, you can never unsee it. I said that to my friend while we were watching a match. We that's, don't, that's, we that's don't have Count Chocula over here, so... But he does. He does look. Yeah, he does. He does look like Dracula. Uh, he really does. I feel like with Arsenal, they if they buy a decent center back and a decent left back, they'll they'll start to be okay. But I hope they don't because where else will we get our Arsenal fan TV content from? So mm, absolutely, <laughs> that's the most important thing. It really is. It really is. And Jay is back. Jay, I'm going to ask you about... Good your, evening. I'm going to ask... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're coming towards the end now. Um, I'm going to have to ask you about your your second favourite team that I always ask you about just to make a, have a good fun about. Everton. <laughs> still bad. Still terrible. Still shite. Uh, they won a game, but, you know, that paper's over massive cracks. Um you know, the 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 very toxic torn fan base, and I said this on a different podcast the other day. They sort of in that mindset and era of when we had Rodgers, when we started the season with them after the six ones of Stoke, and we all knew Ooh. he wasn't the right fit. And we started the season with him, and he was the loyalists who stood by him, and then he was the the realists who just said, "Look, he's not the man for us." And I think that's what's in probably the mindset of most Evertonians now, where they, they kind of think, well, we've swapped and changed managers so many times now since old Davey left for Old Trafford, and we've not got it right, and we've tried the dinosaurs and some other dice, we've tried the, the football of Martinez and Coleman, and we're trying to sort of play something mm, nice, but not go yeah. too technical with Marco, so it's just not working for them. Um, but it's a joy to see because while we're romping away and being fantastic, them being equally shit is just even better because the chasm gets even bigger and roll on the 4th of December when they come to Anfield. <laughs> because usually, and I don't know why this season, I think maybe it was last season, it could be wrong. Yeah, it was. The derbies usually fall Goodison first and Anfield second. But last year it was at Anfield first and Goodison second and it fell just before Christmas and once again we scored a late winner and once again we ruined their Christmas so and the why best, not the best song comes out <laughs> the best oh, song yeah. comes out yes absolutely yeah. it, so why it not just... just do it one more time come on <laughs> can, it, can it get even later than the 96th minute or whatever it was last time <laughs> actually this year I don't want it to be a late winner because as sweet as they are, I, and it proper hates them and it's something to revel in. I want us to do what we did about five, six years ago when uh, Sturridge lobbed, I think it was Tim Howard maybe, 
oh, from the edge of the box. Yeah. We, we routed them, I think it was 4-0. And he just stood there in front of the Everton fans and said, yeah, this is who we are. Who are you? And I think that's one of the could... only games I've missed in recent years. That was that sack. That was like Sacco's last ever game for us, if I remember correctly. I can't remember. Yeah, but I don't know why I remember. Where that. Sturridge lobbed it. That was yeah. Oh, that was a year before. When Suarez still played. Ah, yeah. no, it wasn't that far back. I'm thinking of. But I'm thinking of fifteen. It, no, sixteen. If we 15. could do them like four to five nil on our own patch and just like just say, look, we're the champions of Europe. You are nothing. That would be better, I think, this year because we've had the joy of two late winners, and we need something a bit more like a bit more stronger to rub in the wound mm. now than just a bit more salt. We can save that for Goodison. We might be doing them a favour though, because if we were to dismantle them at Anfield, Silva might get the sack because the the fan base. He's he's not seen Christmas. I don't think he's seen Christmas. It's so weird because last season they ended kind of promising for them. And then the start, it's just everyone seems to have just turned it. Well, it goes with the name, doesn't it? They've just turned into a bit of fucking muscles. <laughs> to, to his credit, now I think I think it was a smart decision recently, as as someone pointed out to me, um, that that he played kind of the full team in the league cup because they kind of got that win and that kind of reminded them what it is to win a football match and since then obviously they've, they've uh, drawn Spurs and, and got a win so I think he's kind of bought himself a few weeks in that sense he, he might see out to Christmas now because of the unless you know we do dismantle them at Anfield because that that could be that could be too much for for them to handle um but you know it's it's just I I, I I just I look at that 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 Everton squad and I I wonder where did that money go the, the amount of money they've spent and I, if I went through their team the, the only player I'd actually say is is good like that well good is a, a loser but good enough you know that that good teams would be looking at him is the left back at the end of the day <laughs> the rest mm. of them are all you know they're some of them are okay they're. Some of them are crap. Some well, of them are average. You think they spent fifty mil on Richarlison? Like I like Richarlison, but he's, he's talented. He's nowhere near a fifty mil player. <laughs> what they does he do? Piss like... away their money. Let's be honest. Like, look at what they've spent in terms of like the money on Richarlison, Sigurdsson, um, Davy Klassen. <laughs> Davy Klassen. The, the list goes like the, the endless amount of forwards they threw money at Walcott, Wobi, and. You Mois, look at our Mois King's already few going. Years, then, you know, we've we've not gone over thirty-five million, and we've got two of the best forwards in the world in Mane and Salah. If well, you do your scouting right and you recruit right, they are out there, and they've spoke fifty million on Richarlison, who but, wouldn't even get on our bench. Let's be honest. They bought Yannick Balassi the same window we bought Mane for about the same money. <laughs> and they told us Palazzi was better. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's funny. <laughs> and and then they had to loan him out because they couldn't sell him. No <laughs> <in his laughs> Where he's is a, he now, guys? I think, he's, a, I think yeah. he's at Sport in Lisbon. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's a strange oh. one. I think he turned the down. Old, he turned down Pulis. <clears throat> the old waste ground with Sebastian mm. Quattes. Whoa, hey now. <laughs> <And, laughs> At least he might put a nice word in for Bruno and say Liverpool's a lovely city. True. And and Thiago Alori. <coughs> um, don't, yeah. don't worry, though, lads. Tom Davies is the next Steven Gerrard. Oh, apparently. God, that so, was you know, awful. Yeah. Was that talk? That was talk. Was that talk? <laughs> who did that? God, they I think it was, yeah. But anyway. Sink, 
Sinclair that one, wasn't it? That oh, one the shows. Whoever. It was. Oh, we haven't even mentioned Danny Murphy. Yeah, you shit. You shit at your job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk sports for those like Chris who may or may not know them of crossing the other side of the world, but they recruit these shithead pundits and ex-players for bites on the radio. But and human prunes. Yeah. But you t- you kind of think actually that's probably their actual view, and to say the stuff that they come out with, you think well, you're putting your names that, so you've got to believe yourself to some aspect. And the likes of Tom Davis could be the next Stephen Gerrard. Harry Kane is a better number nine than Roberto Firmino. Oh come on! Have a look at yourself and see what you're saying because you put your name as a footballer on that statement, and you are a laughing stock. Harry Kane's nowhere near Origi at the minute. Never mind fucking for me, you know. Jesus. But anyway, that's what we're going to finish on because I've gone about an hour and 20 and Nino will batter me. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But uh, we'll finish up there. Um, thank you, you three, for joining me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and as we mentioned, Danny Murphy, bad at your job. Harry Kane does not get on our bench. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, anyway, goodbye. Podcast Network.